Who the Wild Things Are with Ryan McGuire. You gotta listen to your body. Oh my God, maybe, you know, I could get out there. I could do this. Let's take a ride. Find your wild side. Real stories. See with your own eyes. It's so beautiful. I'm gonna have the best time out here. Yeah, I was in tears. I was just like, that's the best, man. Yo, welcome back, everybody, to episode 24 of Who the Wild Things Are, the number one live podcast in the world. Uh, I love how everyone always says, this podcast is the number one podcast. So now we're the number one podcast. But uh, yeah, I'm back from the bush, back to see all your beautiful faces. I was out there doing my wild man thing for a little while, but we're back. And today we have an incredible show plan for you guys. If you're checking out uh, on live, it's great to have you. Uh, as always, you can always see these shows on Spotify, YouTube. Uh, you can catch them wherever you catch your podcast. So uh, today we're going to be talking uh, with my friend Chris, who has taken the fitness world by storm. She is now the official High Rocks World Champion, and she's crushing a bunch of other stuff. Uh, ultras, OCR races, you name it, she's probably competing in it. So we're going to hop on there and uh, we're going to hear a little bit from Chris. Hope everyone is having a great Wednesday. And uh, yeah, we'll get it started here. Awesome. Well, it's, uh, it's great to have you. Thanks for hopping on here with me. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sorry we couldn't make the, the Nolan's 14 dates work. When I saw you said that, I started doing a bunch of research and I was like, damn, this is something I want to do pretty cool right it's happening someday so yeah um, are you still gonna go ahead and try in july probably not in july but maybe later this summer we'll see right on yeah i feel like it's one of those things you gotta be you gotta be proud pretty dialed in for so for people that don't know what we're talking about nolan's 14 is 14 peaks in colorado all above fourteen thousand feet so that means you got to deal with snow you got to deal with lightning and obviously, like, 100 miles and tons of different variables. So. Yeah. 14 peaks in a row, it's, I think, yeah, 90 to 100 miles is the typical route. And people do it as, like, an FKT. But I was like, that'd be fun to just kind of do as a weekend, a long weekend, camping, yeah. backpacking trip. I think you got a different kind of fun, you know. Like, I don't think a lot of people would find that <laughs> fun as you would. You might be right. So, Chris, um, I think a lot of people, you know, I've heard your name, especially recently, because you've been dominating all these races. But I'm really curious to hear kind of how this whole thing came to be. Uh, I've been competing in some of these races just as of lately. And I'm always interested to hear kind of people's background and how they got into endurance and fitness racing. So what was it like uh, growing up? Was this something you kind of always felt like you were headed towards? Uh, definitely not. I grew up very... Um... I was actually, I mean, I guess I grew up oddly. Um, I was homeschooled, um, very countercultural, um, very sheltered, and just, uh, yeah, didn't have any big aspirations, really much of anything, but definitely not running at all. Um, I ran a couple 5Ks, like, as a, I guess, like a teenager, and kind of had fun with them, but that was literally the only three miles I ran per year, so... That was it. Um, no, did not see this coming as a kid, for sure. So when you say countercultural, do you mean like, are we talking about like hippie homeschool? Because we, we have like kind of different homeschools here in Colorado. I don't know if you've experienced any of them yet, but we got like the more like mountainy kind of parents. And then you have like the really religious parents who kind of have like the full spectrum. We were the very religious parents, but alongside of that very religious, definitely very like crunchy, like natural. Um, so kind of bordering that hippie but definitely falling more into the religious category cool so i'm guessing you spent just like a insane amount of time outside you know just like climbing trees and being barefoot and such absolutely yeah um for the first uh eight years i we lived in a river valley in arizona central arizona and i remember our yard there like we had this huge grapevine we had mulberry trees we had blackberry bushes we had like literally everything and we would just spend all day outside um same then we moved to texas when i was eight and we had five acres and five acres was like wow that was so much property and we were in a neighborhood where everybody else had five to ten acres and there's a lot of retired people so we kind of traipsed all through everybody's yards um but yeah running around barefoot um there were these you know these like canyons these basically drainage 
yeah, canyons really that kind of ran through the neighborhood. So we trek all through there. Um, yeah, barefoot, there's a lot of cactus there. So we learned pretty early, like how to avoid cactus. And then if we did get it, how to get it out. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, you know, we'd, we'd do the school and the chores, you know, whatever we need to do in the morning. And then the rest of the day was like outside and honestly as far away from the parents as possible. So we don't have to do anything else. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Keeping the choice. I feel like that's such a good way to grow up though, especially when you see, you know, now it's mostly like iPads and electronics for kids. I remember me growing up, it was like, we all ran through the neighborhood. Everyone was in each other's yard. You know, everyone knew everyone. And now I don't feel like that is as acceptable to just be kind of running through the neighborhood barefoot all the time. Yeah. I think it definitely depends on the area, but um, yeah, as a general rule, it's, I feel like it's not quite as common as it probably used to be. Right. Yeah. So how, how did that kind of progress then? You, you grew up in this kind of countercultural homeschool environment, and then um, obviously we know where you are now. What does the middle of that look like? Did you always know like competition was your thing? Um, no, the middle of that was, I, I eventually figured out, like I knew I wanted to be outside, um, but I, it kind of started with horses. Um, when I turned 17, 18, um, I wanted to work with horses. I always knew I'd wanted to. So I called several different horse barns in the area and was like, can I work? Um, so I ended up starting cleaning stalls, bringing horses in, but I love just like the hands-on. I think I'm probably like borderline ADHD. So I was like something to do, something to keep me busy, something to like tire me out by the end of the day. Like I was all about that. Um, so yeah, kind of worked. Um, I worked for one horse bar and then I started working for a horse trainer. So saddling horses, washing horses and got to ride some of the horses. Um, it was probably, I guess, kind of three years into that. Um, I was working at another barn and I ended up getting an opportunity to kind of, um, kind of go all in on it. And I moved out East to work at like a really top, top of the line, um, show barn out there. Um, so I did that for a summer and I guess right before I had moved out there, I had tried, I did a Tough Mudder and then I did a Spartan. I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. These are kind of fun, but I wanted to do the other distances that I hadn't done yet. So I moved out East. I was ready to like pick up, go all in on horses. Um, it was a good experience, but I learned very quickly, like not going to work for me. Um, it takes a lot of money and it takes a lot of really like background and like the more family you have in it, the more like foundational you have in it the better off you are. So I quickly learned, I was like, you know what, like, I don't have the money. And I definitely don't have, if you don't have the money, you definitely have to like sell your soul to it. And I was like, I like it, but not that much. Um, so kind of at the tail end of that, as I found a couple, there's a lot more Spartans out there on the East coast. So I did some more Spartans and kind of, you know, as the horse thing was ending, realizing I couldn't do that kind of fell into the Spartans. Um, pretty quickly was like, I'm kind of good at this. I like, being outside on the trails, the obstacles are fun. Um, and I did pretty well from the beginning. So to where I was kind of like, okay, I want to like, try to see where I could go in this. Um, yeah. Did not still did not think I would be here. I was kind of like, I'll try it for a year, see how that goes. Um, yeah, so I, you know, took a year. I guess the next year. Um, yeah, I was just, you know, did local races, but it was really, you know, highly focused on that obstacle course racing. Um, but through that, I got involved with a gym down there in South Texas, where I've been living for the past four years. Um, and they were very much like they had all the obstacles and they, you know, so I was like, okay, this is a gym I'll go to. Because before then, I was honestly really like, gyms are ridiculous. Like these people go to gyms and work out and get super strong and you put them outside and they can't do shit. Like they're helpless. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Like I'll work hard and I can do whatever, you know, I can survive outside. Um, so, but this gym actually got me in because they had the obstacles. Well, they also had a, um, a pretty like solid, just basic, uh, group fitness, uh, functional fitness classes. So I started doing that and, um, kind of, you know, as I was kind of getting into now a gym person, but I was like, this is like, it is actually functional and like it carries over. Um, yeah. Then when, so I, you know, was progressing steadily in the OCR. And then when DECA fit and high rocks, they both kind of came out or came on my radar, like early 2020. Um, and I did a high rocks, um, and was like, this is really cool. Um, I could be a lot better. So yeah. I wanted to do what more. Your, but then, what was your first time? I'm curious. My first time, I believe it was one 
17 or maybe 119, somewhere in that 117, 18, 19. It was somewhere in that range. Good. Um, which wasn't bad. Yeah. yeah. And I think I, I think I got like fourth in my wave, but then went other way. I ended up, I think, seventh overall, but still won my age group because, again, I was like, that was the thing that I found too pretty quickly is like, I'm on the younger side of this. Like, if I'm doing well or not, I'm always doing like really well in my age group. So it's kind of a fun, like, easy reward thing. Um, yeah. How old are you? I am now 25. So you're in the 25 to 29 age group, right? Is that yeah, or a lot of times we'll do like a 20 to 29. But yeah, 20, 29, 25 to 29, somewhere in there. Yeah. And there's not, I actually, I just did an ultra this past weekend and I was looking at the results and I just scrolled through the first page, but I know there were 33 people that finished in under 24 hours. And I think that was probably those 33 people at least. And there was nobody younger than 32, I think. <laughs> Literally nobody else in their 20s besides me. So I was like, kind of in the wrong sport, maybe, but I like it. So no, that's amazing. And I, I can't help but think like, your upbringing, it maybe you didn't train like you didn't do track workouts and shit, but you had this like base of grit, right? Like, there's something about shoveling shit in a horse barn that like builds you as a person. I grew up with horses. And I remember it just being like, hot Midwest summer and just sitting there shoveling like, and cleaning stalls and there's something yeah. about that that just kind of instills this like hard work attitude and like no nonsense no whining no nobody wants to hear it you know when you're in that environment i think you have to learn to appreciate it too because that was the only way i was going to be able to ride horses was by um working and so as much as like yeah it sucked it was not i like really early on learned to appreciate the work that got me to where i wanted like really wanted to ride, but I couldn't ride unless I put in this kind of work. So it's kind of this like, you know, not just working because you have to, but because like, no, I want to do this because of where it'll get me long term. Kind of, so. Yeah, right on. Yeah. So then you, you've kind of, you know, expanded your your breath since then you were just talking about your journey into these 100 mile races. And I, I think 100 mile races and like ultra long distance are kind of interesting because there's a longer uh there's a later prime right a lot of the best ultra runners are like late 30s early 40s sometimes we're seeing 50s and you're like at your peak physical career and you're tackling like big 100 mile races so it's not typically something you see no um i always say i think i found ultras way too young because most people i think i mean I don't know. I think a lot of younger people are physically capable of them, but they take a lot mentally. And that's kind of what I've been people I've talked to. Like, I don't think a lot of people like mentally want to go there. And I don't know what makes me want to go there, but I love it. So, um, yeah, I, I guess that first year of running, I did a Spartan ultra beast and I was literally, I was like 30 miles. Like that's ridiculous. I'd never run more than like 12, but I was like, I could, I could literally walk and make the cutoff time. So I was like, let's go. Um, and I think that kind of set the tone of like, anytime I do ultras, even now, I, um, I always, um, like I have zero uh, pressure, zero expectations for myself because to me, it's like just being out there and doing it. Like that's huge. Um, so yeah, I did that first 50 K and then, and I completed it. I almost died, but I did it. And then after I'd done 30 miles, I like saw a 50 mile. I was like, if I can do 30 miles, I can do a 50 K. I could do 50 miles. Um, and then after I did the 50 miles, it took another year, but then I was like, I'm going to try to do a hundred. Like mm -hmm. I had heard of a hundred miler probably like two years previously. And I was like, that's nuts. But there's this little bit of like, if people are doing it, I want to try it. Like I want to do it. Like if it's being done, I want to do it. So yeah, I did my first hundred miler. It was absolutely miserable. Um, but it was also like a terrible setting. Like it was in South Texas in the middle of August and like 70% of the course was sand. Oof. And yeah. So after I finished, um, after I finished that one, I was like, literally nothing could be worse than this. Um, and I ended up doing two within another six months. And I just, I just think I got addicted. Like there's something about um, challenging yourself that much, like beyond what you're maybe like, actually humanly capable of like it definitely takes more than that but then the satisfaction of doing it like nothing tops that so i think i'm just kind of chasing that high a little bit when you talk about like that place you go mentally do you have like 
a strategy that you set up beforehand? Do you use like mantras or are you um, just kind of dealing with things as they come? Because I've noticed like you're really big on like the gratitude mindset and just super happy usually during races. And I know a hundred miles, it can't be like that for the whole race, but being able to find like those little bits of happiness are super important. So I'm just curious how you get to that positive mindset. Um, I don't know. I think it's a lot of just kind of taking it as it comes. Um, I definitely take all the time I possibly can to like soak in the views. And that's yeah. one of the biggest reasons, like I do all these mountain races and I did not, I, until kind of now I did not have the skill set for mountains, but I was like, that's where I want to be. Um, so I just, I definitely take the time to like soak in the views, everything out there. Um, I have found that like everything starts hurting at some point and there's just kind of a, like you can do some managing, but then a lot of it is just kind of, I don't know. I, I feel like I manage the pain pretty well because I, I guess I'll like, I don't focus on it. I'm like, okay, this is a problem. Like, let's fix it if we can. And if we can't like, well, we'll just go and just, you know, kind of push through it. Um, this past one, I guess was a really, was one where if I started hurting within like the first 10 miles and I literally thought to myself, like, this is going to be a, a long day. Like normally the first 30 miles are piece of cake. Then it kind of is like, okay, now it's getting real. And by the last 80, I'm like, I just want to finish. Um, so what, what percentage of, so for example, like your last one, Old Dominion, do you think that you ran versus walked? I don't, well, looking at just like my base pace, I would say two thirds of it was running. Okay. Um, yeah, just kind of what I glanced at. Um, I definitely run everything that's like slightly downhill or flat. And then pretty right. much, I mean, at the beginning, I was definitely running up some of those slider grades. But as it gets later, you know, in the day in the race, um, I'll definitely power hike up pretty much everything. Um, but I yeah. found still like hiking, I can hike typically like a 15 to 17 minute pace. And if I'm alternating that 15, 17 minute up and then running a solid like 10 ish, nine to 10 ish down, um, it kind of averages out to like a 12, which is sort of still a running pace. So yeah, that's I feel, super I feel solid for like a hundred mile race that's still yeah. flying like the hard yeah the hard thing then is then like the aid stations then stack up so then you'll have some like you know i'll see my mouth and it'll be like a 19 or a 20 minute mile and i'm like but that's like you know stopping for an aid station filling up water eating some food this one we actually had to weigh in twice well i guess weigh in before we started then two more times throughout the race so um yeah but i guess yeah i don't i don't overthink it i know i can complete it and so i know i will um and then to me, it's like, this is 24 hours, like just surviving outside. And like, I just yeah. have to be outside and um, like the shower, the bed, all of that comes eventually. But like, it's not very often that I get to spend a full 24 hours just like outside enjoying it all. So, yeah. That's a really um, good mindset. And I think not that many people think about it that way is not just the, the movement and the racing part, but also just being outdoors and like out there experiencing wildlife and you know seeing sunsets and checking out the mountain views there might be bears right it's like there's so yeah. many different variables in these big races like that you don't necessarily think about unless you're there and you see moments that you wouldn't see on a normal like on a normal day like ever i know one the first mountain one i guess was out in west texas and at right about 6 a.m i hit the top of this peak you had to hit it three different times but I hit it the third time and there was literally the moon was going down on one side and the sun was coming up on another. And I was like, this is cool. Like, this is it. And I'll have moments like that almost every race where I'm just like, I'm glad to be alive and I'm glad to be out here. Like, this is amazing. So, yeah. So for the old um, Dominion one you just did, can you have headphones? No. Um, no, I don't really, I don't really listen to uh, music when I run at all. Um, the only thing I'll listen to sometimes is podcasts and, but I don't, I don't like headphones. I don't like to be like closed out. So I'll kind of just stick it in my, um, in my hydration pack and I'll keep it like close enough to where I can hear it. But, um, yeah, so I actually did. Sometimes I'll listen to podcasts or I'll listen to books or whatever if I get really bored. But most of the time 
I'm with other people. Like I try to talk to people. And so I, and it was, it's neat too, because this is my first time racing ultra out on the East coast. And I learned all about all kinds of races out on the East coast Midwest that I knew nothing about. There's like a Midwest grand slam where you do like, I think they have five that you do in a summer. I was like, I'd never heard of that. So, so dial into cool. that real quick about the grand slam thing, because I actually didn't know about it until you were saying it. Um, it's uh, sort of like a series of races that are all hundred miles. Is that right? Yeah, it's kind of, uh, it was established, I think, in like, it was, I think the first person who did it back in like the 80s, maybe even the 70s, but it's kind of considered um, the five, like oldest 100 milers in the country and kind of like they're kind of the oldest, most prestigious. So obviously Western States is one of the first one. Old Dominion was one of the original ones as well. Um, there's Vermont 100, Leadville and Wasatch. And I'm not really sure... I learned a lot about the history of Old Dominion this past weekend. So I'm not really sure how that got established, but um, somebody back in the 70s decided to run them all in the summer and kind of established it as like a thing. So now it's a thing. Um, this takes and it's one gone crazy different. person. Pretty much. But now like you fit, I literally, I tell people, I'm like, so I'm doing all these hundreds this summer and like, it's, it's a thing. Um, but really like you basically just do four out of these 500s over the summer and at the end you get like this cool eagle trophy that's really all it is is like this like cool little eagle trophy but to me it's more like the thought of like doing that 100 miler every month in like on like a kind of an iconic course which is mm -hmm. kind of fascinating to me i guess have you um, heard the story of how western states started yeah the, where was it the horse was... i don't know i've heard different things yeah i heard that like his horse went lame and so he's like you know what i could just run it i've also heard like you know, I could, I could beat a horse on that. I don't really know what the actual thing is, but, and I find that really interesting because on the horse side of things, like I come from that kind of world and I've done like a 25 miler, I've done a 50 miler. Um, so I like, it's, it's neat. I, I did the horse ultras like after I was already running. And so I think it's a whole different, most people, the horse ultra in that horse ultra world, they're like, Oh, this is a big deal. And I'm like, sometimes I, I just run 50 miles, but you know, I'll ride 50 miles today, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, kinda, it's, kinda it's an interesting thing. There was like this period, especially when ultra running was starting to take off where people would run races, you know, with horses, because obviously, you know, it goes back to early America, where long distance was always using horses, people didn't necessarily travel that far on foot. And then you have things like the Western states where somebody tries to do it on foot and everybody else around him. Imagine you're saying there's on a giant horse. Yeah. And then they said, yeah. eventually, you know, next year, there was 10 people on foot. And then the following year, half the people on foot. And then like, 10 years later, there was no horses left in the race. It completely turned yeah. from a horse race into a foot race. Yeah. Um, Vermont 100, which I'm doing next month, they actually up until like, literally two years ago, I think, they ran the horses, you got to run with the horses, which is not many courses doing that anymore. And then I know there's one, I think, in Arizona where it's literally called like man versus horse. And each year, I think it's a 50K or a 50 miler where they literally try to like race the horse. I think the horse normally wins, but there's been a few years where man beats the horse. So yeah. I'm not sure if it was the same one, but uh, my friend Matt Graham, he's a ultra runner and survivalist, but he did a race against the horse. I think it might have just been like one on one. Oh, really? Uh, and apparently it was a pretty crazy showdown. He's like, obviously like world-class runner and um there was something about an aid station like they stopped him to check him and like the horse caught up and i don't know he he'll tell the story better than i do but i always think that's yeah. a cool idea like having a human race a horse because it seems like obviously a horse is going to win but when you think about those long technical trails they can't respirate like we can they can't mm -hmm. breathe like we can so we have certain advantages that they don't have and i read something that the hotter it gets the uh the closer because it's normally the horses kind of have a gap on the humans but the hotter it gets the more that the humans close that gap which just kind of goes to show like you know horses can't just run in anything people can't. yeah we are the only animal that can run really far on a really hot day it's pretty crazy we have no other strengths as you know animals in the animal kingdom but our ability to respirate and control our own breathing allows us to run further than anyone else on yeah day. yeah pretty fascinating so we got that going for us. We don't have strength or claws, but we, we can run far. <laughs> At least speaking we got of, that. Speaking of running far, so 
you kind of take this racing thing to the next level and uh, walk us through the time leading up to High Rocks. I'm curious, was your training like event specific? Are you still training for like these hundred mile races while you're training for High Rocks? How does that work? Because you're doing so many different things. I would say my training is, um, I'd say it's pretty well rounded. I typically, really my biggest things are I run every day. I do a speed workout once a week and then I work out every day and I've done, and they're just kind of like basic, like function, nothing crazy. I'm not ever trying to max out my deadlift, ever trying to max out any kind of weights. I just want to move and move weight and move in like functional movements every day. Um, so that's kind of what it's been for the past couple of years. Um, leading up to high rocks, actually, I had moved to Colorado like four weeks before, I think. So I was hiking a lot more than I normally do, which is not at all high rock specific. Um, but I was doing a lot of hiking, a lot of just like running. Definitely. It took me a little bit to adjust to the altitude. Um, and I actually had, a, I guess I had other races leading up to it, but I will say for high rocks since the first time I did it. And then also the second time I knew that like I could get better, but I needed to get better at those specific movements. So I guess the, on it, like the two to three, four weeks leading up to it, I did a lot of hiking and running and just like adventuring. And then I tried to do two high rocks workouts a week, um, just kind of focusing on the wall balls. I feel like it's something I can always work on the sled push and the sled pull and then the lunges. Those are kind of like the four things that I was like high rock specific need to work on. Um, I've put in a decent amount of work on the skier and the rower. Um, so I feel fairly confident with those. Um, and it was more just the, the sled push, sled pull, those, those four that I mentioned that, and I did, you know, I'll do them kind of whatever. Sometimes I'll, you know, do extra work on just one. I'll do like kind of a like run and then a station thing. Um, I just kind of mess around with it, do whatever I feel like. Um, but yeah, definitely did some specific work leading into it. That was it. Um, mostly just enjoying Colorado. Um, I feel like I've just been on a high, like ever since moving here. So maybe that carries over. It's a good place to be, especially like if you're into adventure and fitness racing, like you can literally just train in the mountains. Like a lot of my, you know, workouts are just going to the top of X mountain, right? X trail, you know, it doesn't always have to be inside a gym. You can actually train outside and have like real mountains in your backyard. Yeah. Nothing, nothing really beats that. Yeah. It's, it's hard to beat it. So the, the high rocks day comes. I, one thing that I thought was wild was that they raced the elites at 6 30 p.m um yeah. especially for people coming from europe or coming from the east coast like if you're from the east coast for everyone watching that's these athletes were racing at 9 30 p.m their time yeah right? so this is a lot different i'm sure a lot of your workouts are in the morning how did you kind of adjust to that um i, I don't know if you really can adjust to it um i guess i would say um I kind of have enough of, I, I know enough how my body works that I know like as long as I eat solid food, like basically four hours before I do something, make sure I'm hydrated, especially like two hours before, then when it comes time, like I'm pretty much ready to go. Um, I don't know if I really like adjusted for it or anything, just kind of wanted to make sure I had eaten well and I had drank well and then had given enough time for all of that to settle. That was kind of my approach. Awesome. Yeah. And then the race ended up being like totally epic. Like, I don't think a lot of people were expecting to go for it to go like how it did. Uh, there's a lot of focus on the guys race, which ended up Hunter just ran away with it. But then the girls race ended up being like super close and like super entertaining. So I guess just walk mm -hmm. us through kind of what was your mindset kind of station by station? Um, okay, well, I came into it knowing, I mean, obviously these are the top people in the world and I came in like seated 12th and, you know, we can say whatever we want about like how that qualification worked and everything. But I knew like up to that point, my time was the 12th fastest time. So I've obviously, I didn't have any expectation of winning, but I knew I could do better than I had done for that 12th time. So I figured I, I could do top five. Um, we started out and I'm always, I don't know, I don't say, I don't have a lot of strategy. I'm just kind of like, go when I feel good take a little second to breathe if I feel rough and we'll go. So I started out and, um, felt good. Um, so I ended up actually like taking, taking the lead on that first run, came into skiering first, 
think I came out of skier in maybe fifth or sixth, which I was totally like, didn't surprise me a lot. Um, sled push and sled pull are always the ones that are just, unless I were to put a lot of mass on, they're just always going to be a struggle for me. Um, so I sled push, suffered through it. I, I didn't feel like it didn't defeat me. I didn't feel like I was losing a ton of ground, but I also wasn't as fast as I might've hoped to be. Cause I felt like I'd put work in on it. Um, sled push and sled pull. I think when I left the sled pull, I was probably in 12th, you know, maybe ninth or 10th place. I was definitely not a front runner. And I remember as I left the sled pole, I was kind of like, well, like, all right, we're just going to like, obviously I'm going to finish the race, but like, we'll see how this goes. But also I heard somebody say, as I was leaving the sled pole, like the sleds are over, let's go now. And I, so I did kind of have that thought, like, that's right. Like the rough, the rough thing's over. Like now we can go, um, came in the burpee broad jumps was next. And I came into that and I have not done super well on them, but I, the format that they were in actually worked out well because I could see exactly where like everybody else in the field was. Um, but anyways, there was a girl kind of two down that had come in before me, but I came in and got right into burpee broad jumps. And I like, I realized I was, I was moving faster than her on the burpee broad jumps. So I was like, all right, like pass one person up and running like they call it kills. I was like, okay, that was one kill. Like, you know, I'm making some progress here. Um, Came out of the burpee broad jumps. Um, I had actually, oh, so kind of preface all this. Before we started, I thought I had like eaten and drank well, um, but I ended up, my stomach felt like a little tight. And I was like, maybe it's just nerves. Like this is kind of a big deal and whatever. Um, but as I was running and probably sled push, sled pull, I feel like I felt it on the um, burpee broad jumps as well. I was like, I don't feel great. Like I feel like I might puke. And I, I've always, I've never puked while working out anything like that. So, and I always kind of think like these people are going like overboard, like there's no reason to need to puke. Anyways, I was kind of like, I don't know. Like, I don't really want to think about it. Anyways, came out of Brippy Broad Gems, went into the run. I came into the row and the row, I came into the row in fourth. So I think it was after the Brippy Broad Gems when I was running around, you could see up on the screen, like how was in. And I realized I was like, I think I'm actually in fifth. And I passed somebody on that run and came into the row in fourth. And I could hear them calling the times of the people in, you know, the, the two front leaders. And I was only like 120 meters behind them. And I was like, this is actually going good. Like, you know, um, and as I left the row, um, I think it was on that first lap running around. I was like, okay, I'm about to lose my stomach. Um, so actually as I was running, I kind of mid run, like lost a, lost some of the contents of my stomach. Um, and after that, I was like, okay, like now I'm feeling great. <laughs> um, soon after that, soon after that, I actually passed a girl as well. So I was like, I was in third place and I was like, this is good. Like I got that over with feeling better. Um, and then the farmer's carry was next. And I came into the farmer's carry and farmer's carry is something like I've worked really hard on my grip for OCR. Um, let me turn a light on in here real quick. Anyways, I've worked really hard on the grip for OCR. So I was like, you know what? Like I've got grip growing for me. I should be good on this. Um, and I ended up doing the farmer's carry unbroken and the top two girls took several breaks. Um, and I still like, they were a couple laps in front of me. Couldn't quite tell where they were. But when I left that, I realized, um, running out of that station, I saw the two of them right in front of me. And I was like, wait a second. Like I'm in third place and not like squarely in third place. Like I'm right behind these girls. As we left one girl split off to get water. And I was like, I'm in second place now. And as we started that run, I passed her, I think on that first run where I was like, I'm feeling good. I'm just going to go like, maybe I'm like, but I, I literally kind of thought to myself, am I, am I like going too fast? Am I going to, I was like, no, I, I feel good. So I ended up passing her. I came into the lunges in first and I don't think anybody expected that when I came in, it was like, I think a lot of people were kind of, and I even like some of the live commentary, they're like, did she miss something? Did, did she, she miss, miss some runs? Did, yeah. Did something. And I was, I mean, I knew I was right. Um, but she, one girl ended up, uh, um, the girl ended up passing me on the lunges, but not by much. And we went out again. I was like, I was feeling good on the run. So I passed her up on the run. And even then I was like, this is going really well for me. But I knew like, I'm okay at wall balls, but I'm probably like not the strongest there. And I've heard that the European girls are really strong on them. So I was coming to the wall balls and probably had like 10 in before the next girl came in. And I was like, okay, like 10 is a good number. I'm not like two. Um, took the breaks that I had planned on taking, you know, took a quick break, breathed, 
got right back to it. Um, and, but it wasn't, in, and, but she didn't take breaks and then she did. I was trying to kind of keep tabs on where she is, but mostly focus on me. What Anyways, it wasn't until, um, I broke at 25 and then I think I broke again at 40 and then I broke at 60, 64, 65 ish, somewhere in there. And then I went the last 35 unbroken. So oh, right wow. at like 30. Yeah. So, and that's, when I picked it up and went into, you know, started like the 65, 60s, somewhere in there. Um, I thought about it and I was like, my thing, my thought was literally like, I know I can do 25, you know, no problem. So let me do the 25. And then I was like, 35 is only 10 more. Like I can get out another 10, four or another 10. So that's where I kind of realized to myself, I was like, all right, I'm going to go unbroken. And I knew she was still about eight to 10 behind me. And I realized I was like, I think I'm going to win this thing. Um, yeah. So it was just, it was cool. Cause I, I don't know. I'm a very, I feel like, I don't know what most people do when they race, but I am very like, just kind of processing and seeing what's all going on. And I'm always like making, you know, see how I'm feeling. And it was really cool to just kind of like, I feel good. Let's go. And it's just kind of all worked out for me. Did you um, get emotional? Cool. Like when you came across the line, was it like overwhelming? Um, I think I was, it was mostly just shocked. Like, it's like, I just won. Like, I don't know. I, I didn't have time, I think, to gear up for that. Like, when I finish ultras, and I, like, I will definitely start thinking about, like, oh, my gosh, it's almost done. Like, and I'll get a little, like, I'll definitely get emotional because I, like, I'm gearing up for it. This one, like, no, nah, I feel like I was just completely shocked. Like, that just happened or did it. Like, I guess it did. Um, yeah. It's incredible. And it didn't stop there you then hopped in a car after you won and drove to what some would consider you know one of the hardest spartan races in the country at big bear and you raced 12 hours later my strategy or my what i told myself there was like 12 hours is not enough time to get sore so i'll be good like none of that soreness none of the tiredness that's in um yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd been planning it for a couple of months, I guess. I also thought that the elites were going to run earlier in the day. So I did not expect that 6, 630. Um, but it's one of those, like, these are two important races. Um, they're important in the, like, I want to do well in Hyrax. I'm also trying to do well in the Spartan series. So it's just kind of a, well, we'll try to work it out. And I feel like I, I mean, I, I went into the weekend not with very high expectations. Like it kind of is what it is. And who knows, like, who knows if I'll feel good, whatever. But I also very much knew, like, I'm feeling fit. I'm feeling good. I've been training at altitude, like, and I figured the top five was in the cards, hopefully for me. Like that was kind of my, my goal. Um, and luckily it worked out. Yeah, it definitely worked out. Obviously an amazing accomplishment. And one thing that comes to my mind, and I'm sure a lot of people have this mindset if they're not, professional athlete but how do you you know make money and have the time to pursue all these things because you're not just pursuing one sport that's time demanding you're pursuing like three different four different avenues of time demanding and also obviously a lot of travel and race fees and things like that how do you make all that work with your lifestyle um I'm not pursuing any like one sport I feel like I'm just pursuing my like most fit healthiest self um so that's like when it comes to like the training and all that i don't spend a whole lot of time like well i have to get these training blocks in for this specific race like i know if i want to run fast i need to run fast every week i know if i want to run long i need to run long every week i know if i want to be strong you know just kind of the basics like i want to be a functionally fit person um as far as like the money side of things like i work hard i'm smart with my money and this is the one thing that I spend my money on. So, and I'm okay with that. Like, I don't really drink at all. I don't go out to eat much. I don't spend money on things that I don't need. Um, Cause this is the thing that I care about. This is what I want to do. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a, it definitely is a time and a, uh, like some kind of a commitment level, but I'm, I, for me, I'm at the point still at least where I'm like, this is what I like. This is what I love. This is what I want to do. If I could race every weekend, I'd be happy. Um, obviously, I'm like, I mean, I definitely watch flights. I track flights. I travel very inexpensively. 
I bring food with me. I don't like, I definitely like just spend the bare minimum. But to me, like I'm doing this all for the experience and for the race. And like, that's what I like. I don't need all the, you know, fancy hotels. Like, I mean, I'll sleep in an airport. I'll sleep on a couch. Like, but I, I just want to race. And so I'll kind of do what it takes, I guess. Um, yeah. That's amazing. So That's are you approach. full time now uh, racing? Are you doing anything else for work? No, I, I work full time. Um, okay. I, yeah, I just started two weeks ago. I've done a lot of nannying in the past. So I just started with a new family two weeks ago, watching two kids all day. Um, so yeah, kind of like play mom all day. And then, you know, I get to get run in in the morning, I take them on walks, take them to the park, whatever. Um, I love it. So and I, I don't know, I like the I, I don't think I could. I've been working since I was 17, 18. Um, I don't think I could do the whole like, just be a pro athlete. Like I need to have some kind of organization and commitment and making some kind of decent money. So I don't yeah. know. I think it's uh, maybe the perfect, uh, perfect job for you. You can just be like, come on, little Tommy, get on my back. I'll run down the hill with you on my back and we can go yeah. do monkey bars together. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, I love it. It's always been the perfect job for me. So I've worked at a gym for several years and I was like, that's good. But like, I'm ready to get back to like, I enjoy this a lot. So. And my, you were at, uh, were you at Grit? Is that, is that where you were yeah. in Texas? Cause I, I met uh, a guy named Jonathan. We raced together um actually i think ultra worlds and then also the national series race in jacksonville so okay. i met him and i saw grit fitness and then i saw something about yours on grit fitness and i'm like what the hell is this is this like a yeah. gym is it a race is it a team i was confused so grit fitness is a gym and that's the gym in houston that i found like right as i was kind of getting into this um and they actually started a pro team that year so they kind of put together a team um, initially it had like a whole bunch of benefits and I was like, yeah, like I'll get in on that. Um, and it's kind of evolved into like now, um, it's just kind of a, um, team of like good people that want to do these races. It's kind of a community. Um, and for me, grit fitness has been like that community and that like base for me to be able to train well for this and be around other people that are interested in this. Um, yeah. So, and then they also in the past couple of years, I started putting on events. So they put on one event in the summer, which is like one of my favorite events because it like, it caters to the full athlete. Um, so they do the grit games in the summer and then they've started doing more like just, you know, obstacle course races kind of like, it's kind of a, a mix between a, obstacle course race in like a deck where they do like functional fitness plus obstacles with running in it. So, um, yeah, great group of people. Um, and it's kind of, it's definitely like Texas based, but there's people all over that kind of, you know, it's kind of expanded some, I guess, with, through the team. So are you kind of yeah. sticking with that or are you going to find another kind of gym in Colorado that you're going to, you're going to work with or what do you think? Um, I don't know. I haven't, I, I like, I, I want to find some kind of a gym, but I'm also, I'm still not a gym person. So I have, I've been staying with uh, my friend in Colorado Springs and she has like a garage gym and that's perfect. Every time I go down there, I'm like, this is perfect. I just need a little space where I can, you know, get a little workout in and some peace and quiet. And um, yeah, so I haven't really found a gym. I don't really need a gym, but I want to find something, I guess. We'll see. And I'll be racing this weekend down in Colorado Springs at Neck of the Woods, but you said you're not going to be there. You've got another race, right? Is that right? I, it's, yep. The next race of the national series is out in Mexico this weekend. So right, yes. kind of sad to, I'm sad to miss my first like new hometown race, but yeah, Mexico is more priority, I guess. Yeah. I think VJ said the same thing uh, yesterday to me that he isn't going to be able to make it. Cause obviously, I mean, if you're competing in the national series, like it doesn't matter if it's next door, you got to go to the race that they say to go to. Yeah. And there's, I mean, if we do well, there's a chance of bigger money and that kind of thing. So. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to get the, got to get the bread. What about mm -hmm. uh, nutrition? Are you kind of just, uh, if I had to guess before you even answer this, it's probably you keep it very simple and you don't do any one thing. You're just kind of making yourself the best overall athlete, but I'm just guessing <laughs> <laughs> based on themes. Um, I pretty much just eat whatever. Um, I think there's a lot of value to like whole food and to real food. Um, so I would say I kind of do like an 80%. My thing is, 
I have a hard, like, um, I love food. I'll eat all the time, but I don't like to cook and I don't like to prepare food. And taking the time to eat to me is like taking time from the day. Like I would rather not worry about that and just eat whatever. So I kind of eat whatever I can find, um, something quick, something easy. Um, not at all strict. Um, but I try to, since I'm, I don't want to spend a ton, ton of time on the food thing. I try to make what I eat count. So I try to eat like good food. I would, and I kind of loosely say like, I kind of do an 80, 20, 80% of the food. I would like it to be like good, healthy food. 20%. I don't care. Those numbers are not like concrete or anything. I kind of just eat whatever, but I try to eat a good amount of food and drink a lot of water. And that's kind of it. What about your uh, like flexibility and mobility training? Are you, are you focusing on like, I got to do this stretch after every race or is there anything that you really prescribe to in terms of like mobility or recovery or anything like that? Um, well, at grit fitness, like a lot of the focus there was a lot of like, it's functional fitness, but a huge focus on longevity, because what's the point of doing this if you can't wake up and do it the next day. So I'd say I kind of have that like in the back of my head of like, I want to be able to do this for a long time. Um, I definitely have, I would say like before and after any workout and a lot of runs, I definitely kind of have a set of just kind of stretches that I've done so many times. I just kind of feel like good to just kind of stretch out before or after. Um, I definitely like if I ever got to the point where I was not able, I don't know, I guess I do the, I do it often enough to where I am, I would say a lot more flexible, uh, you know, better mobility than a lot of people are. Um, because I, I think that's really important. So, um, yeah, I would, is there something specific? No, not really. Except like it bands, it bands, I feel like is the biggest thing. That's always an issue. Um, so I'm always stretching those before, after I'll do some scraping and whatever I need to do on them. Um, other than that, just kind of basic, like, yeah, I wouldn't say there's really a set routine, but I do have kind of a, you know, kind of a full body mobilization thing that I'll kind of run through a lot. I need to get more notes on that because my mobility and flexibility like routine is just trash. It's basically non-existent at this point, but um, yeah. I know it is important. I just, um, I, I don't know. I just end up not doing it or skipping it, which is bad. Yeah. It's easy too. Um, until you realize like, wait, I am stiff as a board. That's not so fun. Um, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that ends up being the case a lot of the time. And I, I kind of do it to myself, unfortunately. Yeah. I think the uh, I think part of that is like being young, right? I think as like I get older, maybe I'll get wiser and start doing more of the the training or the the mobility. You're gonna, you're gonna have to do more of it, is what it is. <laughs> so I guess on that note, like as you think about the future, um, do you see like being a professional athlete as kind of like the the next thing on the horizon for a long time uh or in the future are you going to move into training do you ever think about you know any other business ventures related to this kind of stuff um i'm not a coach i feel like i'm still so new to everything i do not have the kind of education to be able to coach i was i would say have a decent bit of education in like the whole group fitness kettlebell workout scene so i've done some coaching in that when it comes to like oh yeah like I'm not a coach. Um, I think they even say like the best runners are not the best coaches. And I right. definitely fall into that. Like I'm just good at running, not a good coach. Um, I, I mean, I would say I'm kind of a, like, it's kind of a hobby to me right now. And I don't see that change. I mean, I think it'll always be a hobby. Um, I have a lot of like goals. I have places I want to go with it, but nothing to the, well, and I guess the things that I enjoy don't really have the option to like, Oh, become a like full-time sponsored athlete. Um, I mean, you can, but it's a little iffy and I'm, I'm just, I do it because I enjoy it. I do it because I love it. And I don't see that change anytime soon. Um, so no, not really. I don't see myself going like any, a whole lot more levels. I'm just a competitor and that's kind of it. But you do kind of uh, work with some sponsors now, right? In terms of, you know, the different running equipment or gear that you're using, you kind of work with some of yeah. the sponsors. Yeah. Um, if there are companies that I like use and can actually get behind, I will do that. But I'm not just trying to find something to like make money off of. And I'm not trying to survive doing this. So I get to, I mean, like shoes, I have two shoe brands that I use and I love and I get to work with them both now. So that's really cool. 
Um, I have, I mean, like, I guess I have a hydration now that I really like um, that I'm able to work with. I'm starting, I think I found a CBD that I really like and I'm kind of starting to work with them. So I definitely have like some things that I'm working with, but it's nothing like, uh, you know, I don't, I'm also like not a social media person and I'm terrible at all of the social media influencer stuff. So a lot of it, if they're like, oh, we need you to like, you know, put out this much content. I'm like, nah, like me just being an athlete and wearing your stuff needs to be enough. So that's kind of where I'm at. Like, um, I don't know. I, I base it more off like performance than like social media presence. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, and I feel like a lot of people probably respect that attitude. Like you're an athlete first, all that other stuff is kind of second nature. Yeah. That's very secondary. Like, yeah, if it comes, it comes. If not, no big deal. So uh, in terms of the race you're speaking about, the Mexico uh, Elite Series race, do you have any expectations for this weekend or uh, just kind of going into it? Uh, nope, not really any expectations. Um, I think a lot of the top female players are still going to be there. So I would say like a top 10. I think I could do a top five. Um, I do like that it is different. I think that's something, a strength that I maybe have is that I don't expect things to all be the same. I'm not training for anything specific. So when things are kind of different, I like to think I kind of adapt well and I'm able to, you know, kind of handle those. So um, I'm excited. I think it's going to be cool. Um, I haven't been to Mexico since I was like 17. So it'd be my first time back there in a long time. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. When you say it's different, do you just mean like the location or are you expecting the actual race, like in terms of obstacles and course? Well, yeah, it's, it's managed by a whole, as much as it's like under Spartan globally, it's managed by a whole different group of people mm -hmm. than all of the U S ones. So I expect some things to definitely be different. I guess, uh, Hammond, one of the, the course designers here in the U S he's coming down. So he, I feel like he's going to end up standardizing it some to make it more normal, but no matter what he does, like, I think there's still obstacles that we just don't see in U.S. races anymore. Um, so I'm excited about that. Like, yeah, give me something unknown. Like, give me something new. Um, well, yeah. hopefully they do the, the pre-race speech in Spanish because it's pretty underwhelming in English. So hopefully they do it in Spanish. It's a lot more hype. I can imagine it be cooler. I hope they give us, like, course info in English, though. I'd like some basic, <laughs> like, a course briefing. But, yeah, no, you're right. That'd be, I mean, yeah, I want it to all be Spanish. I think that'd be really cool. That'd be hilarious if they did it in Spanish and you guys are <laughs> around like, what the? <laughs> and then the few that know Spanish end up doing well because they know what to expect. Right. Yeah, that'd be a huge advantage. You got to find somebody that's like a native speaker down there and be homies with them. And, uh, super fun. And uh, I feel like I've learned a lot from this podcast. I kind of got to understand your mindset a little bit better. And uh, yeah, let's definitely hit a trail run here. Uh, I'll try to do my best to keep up. I'll probably be losing a lung, but uh, yeah, let's link up and hit some 14ers. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you everybody for joining. This is Who the Wild Things Are. We'll see you guys next time.